It's, it's great today um, to have one of our, what we refer to here at, at Hope Family Fellowship is our Hope Partners uh, with us. Randy and Desra Freeman are, are missionaries uh, to the city of Durban in South Africa. They lead North Place Church there in Durban, and, uh, and they were telling us they have not itinerated a full itineration in seven years, which is not normal because normally there's like every four years they, they bring them home and, and, and help them to itinerate. But because of what God's doing, they've only been able to come over in short spurts. And so they've been home for six weeks. In fact, Wednesday, this next Wednesday, they're leaving to go back. So this is, so we're blessed. I'm saying we're blessed to be able to have them. They've been leading the church there in Durban, but they also serve as the directors of urban tribes which is a continent initiative that is designed to plant churches in Africa's gateway cities. And they've served in Swaziland. They've, they've, swer- they've served uh, as, as missionaries. They've also served as pastors. They uh, planted a church in Allen, Texas, uh, in the suburb of Dallas, uh, called Life Fellowship that's doing outstanding today. And uh, Randy and Desiree were last, or Randy was with us last time. He was with us, was in February of 2016 for our missions convention. So it's been seven years since that they've been with us. And so we're excited and honored just to have them here with us today. Would you put your hands together and give Randy a, a hand today and, and welcome him here to Hope. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you, uh, Hope Family Fellowship. It's so great to be with you today. What an honor to be able to come. And uh, man, I'm sorry that I did so bad seven years ago that it took so long to get back. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. We we really do want to say thank you so much for for this church's support of the work that we do on the continent of Africa. Um, We are able to go and do what we do uh, because there are churches like you who partner with us who pray for us and uh, who give monthly so that we can live on the continent of Africa and so that we can serve. I was looking in your bulletin this morning and seeing all the missionaries that you support around the world. And uh, so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your prayer. Um, it's incredible. I grew up in Texarkana. I'm from Texarkana. And it's incredible to think uh, that, that churches like this can be a part of God's move all over the world, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but growing up in Texarkana, I never, I never thought my, uh, I never thought I would really move beyond this area, this region. Uh, and as a, as a kid growing up in a church like this, being a part of Buddy Barrel and then Speed the Light and all of those things, I remember, uh, I remember giving and I remember uh, selling candy. Anyone you ever sells candy bars for Speed the Light, stuff like that? Yeah, I remember all of that, and 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 in my mind, not fully comprehending uh, what I was a part of. But as I've had an opportunity to grow older and see what God's doing around the world, I just want to commend you for being a part of that, and thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, thank you for. Uh, connecting with the work that we do in Africa. As Pastor mentioned, uh, we lead an initiative called Urban Tribes that focuses on planting churches uh, in cities around Africa. Africa is actually the fastest urbanizing region of the world. Uh, When most of us think of Africa, uh, we think of the bush, we think of the village, uh, we think of the animals and all that stuff. And all of that definitely still exists. Uh, But much like the rest of the world, Africa is 
rapidly urbanizing as people are moving to cities in hopes of getting a job, in hopes of uh, having getting education opportunities for their kids. And so in response to that, as Assemblies of God World Missions, we are focused on planting churches in urban regions. And so Desra and I, this is my beautiful wife, Desra, over here on the end. And uh, we we get to lead that initiative and serve um, in Durban. Right now, we have 11 projects on the continent of Africa, planting churches in different uh, different cities on the on the continent. And I want you to understand that in the same way that you serve your city and you offer hope to your city, that's the same thing that these church plants do. In fact, in just a couple of weeks, uh, we'll be hosting um, a a what we call Royal Family Kids Camp. Um, and we'll have 24 uh, kids from the orphaned and foster care system in our, in our city uh, that will be taken away for their first time ever to go to an overnight uh, church camp. Uh, many of these children uh, have no family, no family connections. And so this will be an opportunity for them uh, to, uh, to be loved on. And uh, we have about 40 people from our church uh, there in Durban who will be going and being a part of this camp and hosting this camp and uh, giving these kids hope, something that I know that you care about. Uh, many of them never had a birthday party in their life. And so while they're on this week of camp, we'll give each one of them a birthday party. Uh, many of them have no one in their lives who will provide a new pair of shoes or new clothing. And so while they're there, that's something that we will do for them. And I'm telling you that because I want you to understand that when we plant churches, what we're doing is we're depositing the kingdom of God in a place. And when the kingdom of God is deposited in a place, it starts to bring transformational change. I believe in the local church. Praise God for parachurch ministries. They're wonderful. But I believe if you read your Bible, I believe that Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom of God to the local church. And I believe it's the responsibility of the local church to release the kingdom wherever they are. And so when you partner with urban tribes, you partner with churches like what we're doing in Durban. I want you to understand you're releasing the kingdom. And so thank you so much for that. Also want to say thank you for praying for us. Um, Desert and I have been missionaries for 13 years. By the way, we have four kids. Um, our oldest son is 25. Uh, we have a 21-year-old daughter and then a, a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. Um, as you can see, none of them are with us today. They said, we don't want to go with you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, our 25-year-old and 21-year-old, obviously, they're out of the house. And um, our our 15-year-old uh, and, and 13-year-old wanted to stay with their grandma, and so they don't get to see her very often, and we said, absolutely, stay, spend some time with your grandma, and so that's where they are today. Uh, but our family, um, we understand that not only are we where, we where we are because there are people like you who give, but we, we're, we're sustained there uh, because there are people like you who are praying for us, and I just want to say thank you for praying for us. Over the past 13 years as we've lived on the continent of Africa, there have been so many occasions uh, that we have faced tremendous challenges, and we know that it is because of the prayers of churches like you and people like you uh, that, that we have been sustained on the field. In fact, there have been many times uh, where we've been going through very difficult situations that no one knew about, and we would receive a Facebook message or a, a social media message or an email from a person in a church like yours and say, hey, you know, the, the Holy Spirit uh, laid you on my heart and, and I've been praying for you or they would share a verse of scripture or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And, and so I want to say thank you for that every time that you've ever done that, either for us or another missionary. Thank you for that. And let me encourage you, that list of missionaries that you have in your bulletin today, um, I, know, I know that's something you take very seriously. If the Lord lays one of those people on your heart, 
and uh, he gives you a word for them, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a prophetic word or a verse of scripture or whatever, can I encourage you to reach out to them? Because you have no idea what they may be facing. You have no idea what they may be going through. Uh, we have several stories of times where it was just in the right time that God laid uh, us on somebody's heart. And so obey the Lord in that. You, you, really, uh, you really do not know. Pastor mentioned that you've just been coming through a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, as I was praying about what I was going to share today, the Lord uh, laid on my heart uh, to talk with, with you today about uh, the move of God and about uh, how we see the move of God birth. We, we believe that what God has called us to do is to see the, the kingdom of God birth on the continent of Africa. Um, I've grown up um, in a church a lot like this where um, I remember seasons of, and I love that you're, you're doing that Wednesday night revival service type concept. I, I, re, I remember growing up in church and how many of you grew up in and around church? There's a few of you. That's good. Uh, do you remember like revival time? Like when you were growing up, like every, it's like once or twice a year, we'd have in a special speaker and they would come and uh, they always had the shiny suits and stuff. It was awesome. And you guys have those guys are really fancy cowboy boots. That was also something I remember. Um, and it was awesome. It was a wonderful time because you, you had your normal church rhythm and then there was that time when there was going to be revival, and you knew that everybody was going to get resaved during revival, right? And you knew you were going to get resaved. No, none of you, you guys were perfect, but and there was always going to be the times around the altar, and people were going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. There was going to be there's going to be Holy Spirit night. There was going to be healing night. There was going to be salvation night, right? Are you with me? There, if you were in the youth group, there was going to be tape or CD or record burning night. You remember that one? Okay. Revival was great, and, and I remember growing up really loving that, that time and loving the move of God and loving the presence of God, and, and I remember thinking a lot about what, is it, what does it take? What does it take for us to live in a place where we're moving in the presence of God and experiencing the power of God? I believe the power of God changes things, amen? And I wanted to just share a little bit this morning about birthing a move of God. I know as a church coming out of 21 days of prayer, you know, you don't do 21 days of prayer and fasting unless there's some expectation. Hello? Come on, this is East Texas. You people here like to eat. You don't set aside the biscuits and gravy for 21 days unless you're expecting something, right? And over the course of biblical history, when you see God's people really really needing something from God, we see them calling times of prayer and fasting. And it was in that place of desperation that there was the anticipation that something was gonna be birthed, that something was going to be released. And, and today I wanna just talk for a little while out of First Kings chapter 18, probably a pretty familiar passage of scripture. Uh, you remember the story of Elijah you remember the story of uh, fire coming down from heaven, and you remember ultimately coming to the end of that chapter in which literally what you see is Elijah the prophet birthing a move of God as this rain cloud comes. Well, I want to just remind you in case you've forgotten that passage of Scripture. Let me read 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 6 to you. It says this, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. 
Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah, Bible says, was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill uh, any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. Now, if you remember this passage of scripture, uh, you remember that there's uh, First Kings' this list, it goes through listing king after king after king of Israel and God's people, and you get to chapter 16, chapter 17, and there's a list of several kings, and as they're listening to them, the, the, the story is quite sad. Many of them, um, uh, although they were the kings of Israel, they were the kings of God's people, they rejected God, they rejected his rule, and they just kept giving more evil and more evil and more evil, further and further and further away from their heritage, further and further away from their identity as the people of God, further and further away from righteousness. The people became more and more corrupt, further and further away from God. And uh, you get to the end of chapter 17, and we're introduced to this man named Ahab, and the scripture says that he just did more evil. I mean, it was, it was nothing light to him. He, he didn't, he didn't, in other words, he didn't care how evil he got. And he went and he, and he, and he did uh, the most awful thing that he could do. He married Jezebel and uh, they, they set up uh, places of idol worship and he did everything that he could to defile God's people and, and things just get, kept getting worse and worse and worse. And out of that sin and idolatry, uh, the Bible says that God spoke to Elijah, and Elijah, uh, God gave Elijah a word and said, go tell Ahab it's not going to rain until I command you to say it's going to rain. And so Elijah goes and he tells Ahab it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. And Ahab gets really mad at him, wants to kill him. But God takes, uh, takes Elijah, Elijah hides, Carithra being, all of that stuff. You remember that story. So for three years, this drought has gone on, and that's where we pick up in chapter 18. It hasn't rained for three years. The people are in a place of desperation. Uh, Ahab hates Elijah. Jezebel hates Elijah. They're doing everything they can to uh, destroy Elijah, destroy the word of God, the people of God. And then on the other hand, we have this man named Obadiah, who's an administrator uh, in the king's palace. I just wanted to point out to you, one of the things that you see in Scripture is often you see comparison and contrast. When you're reading in, in Scripture, you see uh, God really showing himself and what he's doing through comparison and contrast. And it's interesting because you have Jezebel, who the Bible says, we just read, is doing everything she can to stamp out the move of God. She's doing everything she can to destroy the move of God. And on the other hand, you have this man named Obadiah who is doing everything he can to preserve the move of God. He's hiding prophets in caves. He's making sure they have food and water. And finally, Ahab gets desperate enough that he says, okay, listen, Obadiah, we've got we've to make sure that the animals will continue to live. And so, Obadiah, I want you to go throughout the land and let's find some place. We're so desperate. We, need, we so desperately need provision. Let's, 
Let's do something. And so Ahab goes one direction and Obadiah goes another direction. Ahab is an interesting character in scripture because here is a typical person who should know what it's like to live in the blessing of God. He should know what it's like to crave the presence of God and the power of God. He has the right heritage. He has the right legacy. He has power. He has opportunity. He is resourced in such a way that he could lead people to God, but instead he's leading people away from God. On the other hand, we have Obadiah who, who is doing everything that he can do to preserve the power of God, to preserve the word of God. And so they go in their two directions looking for some way to find, to find provision for the people of God. Whenever I think about revival, one of the things that I've learned, when I think about birthing a move of God or birthing the presence of God, what, what I've learned through looking back over those years growing up in the church was it, it, seemed like, it seemed like in the weeks leading up to revival, it seemed like the atmosphere of the church would change a little bit. It's like all of a sudden people would linger a little longer in the altars. All of a sudden we would have times of prayer and fasting. We would have prayer meetings leading up to those seasons of revival. And it was the, it was the same people. Look, I grew up in a church. It was the same people every Sunday on the same instruments. We almost sang that like we had a list of, you know, three songs and a chorus. You, would, you know, three, you remember that? the same hymns, and like you would rotate them every, it was all the same, but all of a sudden the atmosphere would begin to change. People started getting hungry. They started getting desperate, and in, in get, they're getting hungry, and in they're getting desperate, you, you would see the atmosphere begin to change. There's something about being desperate that creates a, a fertile fuel, a fertile soil, if you will, for something to grow, for something to be birth. I wonder how often we are not experiencing the presence of God because we're just not hungry enough. I wonder, you know, Pentecostalism and charismaticism, it, it grew out of, it grew out of people who, who were desperate. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes, sometimes have we become so comfortable that we no longer sense need that we no longer are hungry? Are, are our lives so filled with so much stuff? Are there so much abundance? Or maybe we can say it this way, so much distraction that goes on in our life that we don't realize how desperate we are for God, how desperate we are for the move of God. I, I wonder, I wonder if we, we become so distracted by things going on in our life that we don't realize how much we are in need. Maybe if not us, maybe people around us, maybe people we love or we care about. But there was, there was something, there was something even Ahab, as hard as his heart was, even Ahab, as far away from God as he was, Ahab came to a place where he said, we have to have an answer. And so they went out and they started looking for an answer. And as you continue to read in 1 Kings chapter 18, it says this in verse 7. Through 15. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Now remember, God has spoken to Elijah and said, hey, it's time. The people are hungry. The people are desperate. The people are, are ready for something. And, and so Obadiah was walking along. Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here. 
What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or a kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me that you want me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, get this, yet I, your servant, have worshiped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Now I read that passage of scripture to you because I, I want you to understand what it must have felt like to be Obadiah. What it must have felt like to be a man who's, who's faithfully served the Lord and yet God has brought him into proximity to power and God has brought him into proximity to resources and God has positioned him there and he knows full and well that Ahab has done everything that he could to find Elijah, to snuff out the word of God and yet he's been doing everything he can to keep it alive and here is this moment and Elijah says, go tell him and he says, wait a second, if I tell him, you know, who knows where you're going to go. Everyone's been looking for you for three years. These people have been trying to snuff you out for three years. And, and if, if I tell him and you're not there, my life is going to be taken. I wonder how many times we don't understand the responsibility or the cost of being the midwife to the move of God. I've read this story my entire life, and it wasn't long ago that the Lord showed me this about Obadiah. Um, whenever I read this story, the Holy Spirit impressed on me, my, my, we have four kids, I mentioned that earlier, and our last two uh, kids we had with midwives, and, and, and I was so fascinated by the process of, uh, of a midwife being there as a child was born, and the, the, the role that a midwife plays in the process of birthing, and, um, and thank God for those midwives being there, because I was, I was useless as is often the case, um, but especially useless in those moments because I had no idea what it meant to be a midwife. And yet those people were prepared. Uh, God had positioned them. They were equipped. And, and I, I'm just here today just wondering how many of us, how many of us are willing to be midwives to the, to the birthing of the move of God? Like I, I want to, I've never, I've read this story so many times. I never really thought about what it meant to be Obadiah in this story. I, I hadn't considered him because when you read the story, you get caught up in Elijah and his role. And certainly, and we're going to talk about it in a moment, he, he burst the move of God, but it took an Obadiah for an Elijah to birth a move of God. I want to let that sink in for a second. Because a lot of us have an expectation that a pastor, Rusty, is, is going to birth a move of God. But, but birthing, birthing a move of God isn't a one-man show. All the ladies said amen. Right? There's, 
there's more to it. There's more involved. And I read this story my whole life because I was passionate about the move of God and, and praying, God, help me to be an Elijah. Help me to be an Elijah. Help me to be an Elijah. And one day the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, but are you willing to be an Obadiah? Are you, are you willing to be a midwife in the process of the birthing of, my, of, of what I want to do? Because here's the thing. Had Obadiah not been faithful, had Obadiah not been willing to serve in the house of Ahab, even though he knew Ahab was broken, get this for a moment. Because many of us, many of us don't understand how God positions us to bring about his move on the earth. One of the things that, that we understand in urban tribes, what God has called us to do on the continent of Africa is that God desires to, to make his kingdom manifest on the continent of Africa. But if it's going to happen, it's only going to happen because there are Obadiahs on the continent of Africa. In other words, what Desert and I feel very passionate about is that we're to disciple people who God positions in places of influence so that he could use that influence to release his kingdom on the earth. And many of us don't understand. We think if I'm not Elijah, then I have no role. But you and I must recognize that each and every one of us have been given certain capacities and certain giftings and have been placed in certain places. Some of you are educators, you're business owners. Some of you, some of you do different jobs. And in every one of those places, I want to submit to you today, God has positioned you there so that you could midwife, so that you could help birth his kingdom, birth his movement birth revival wherever you are. It would have been very easy. Think about it for a moment. If your boss was as corrupt as Ahab was, wouldn't you want to quit? Ahab was corrupt. Jezebel was corrupt. It would have been very easy for Obadiah to say, I'm out of here. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. This place is broken. This place is terrible. These people are terrible. These people are corrupt. I can't be around this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And yet the Bible says that Obadiah stayed in that place that was hard. Why? Because he knew God had positioned him there. He had postured him there so that he could be a part of birthing the move of God. I'd like to ask you to consider this morning, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your job is, whatever your family is, whether God's placed you, perhaps he's placed you there so that you could be a part of him releasing his kingdom, birthing revival wherever you are. And instead of being repulsed and, and, and broken and mad and angry and upset and walking away, perhaps God has positioned us in those places of influence because he wants us to do, be at the right place at the right time so that his move might be released on the earth. So that it might be released in Sulphur Springs. It might be released wherever you work. Disruptive moves of God come when people are willing to continue to be faithful even even in the face of starvation, even in the face of desperation, even in the face of unrighteousness and brokenness, people who remain faithful and continue to seek God no matter the circumstances are the kind of people that God uses to release his move on the earth. 
And Obadiah finds himself in this moment in which Elijah comes along and Obadiah has continued to be faithful and engaged. And because of his faithfulness and his engagement, he is the one that can provide the opportunity for Elijah to confront Ahab. And confrontation is exactly what takes place when birth, how do many of you know that giving birth is violent? If you don't know, you will know. It's violent. It's not easy. Giving birth is hard. It's challenging. It's difficult. Giving birth to something doesn't happen without confrontation. It doesn't happen without things changing. And of course, we know Ahab finds out that Elijah's there and Elijah comes to Ahab and Elijah confronts Ahab and he says, listen, we're going to have a showdown. I want you to bring the prophets of Baal and, and we're going we're gonna to settle this once and for all. And of course, the prophets of Baal come and, and uh, they have their big showdown. You, you remember the story. First Kings chapter 18, verses 30 through 31. Then Elijah said to all the people, remember, they've called down fire. Uh, this great just power demonstration takes place and and Elijah says this, come here to me, talking to the people. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, "You shall, uh, your name shall be Israel. And so after the fire has come, after he's called down fire from heaven, he calls the people to them and says, listen, it's time to repent. We've got to repair the altar of the Lord. See, a part of, of birthing a move of God, it comes from a place of anticipation and desire or desperation, but it also comes as we return to those places of prayer. We return to those places of seeking God's face, of recognizing our heritage, our identity, who God has called us to be and restoring those things which are broken down in our life and and so Elijah calls them to this place of repentance and restoration. First Kings chapter 18, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifices, the wood and the stone and the soil, and also licked up the water and the trench. So the people returned. They restored the altar of the Lord. And, and of course, fire came from heaven and, and lapped it all up. And this great moment became very clear. Are we going to believe the prophets of Baal? Or are we going to believe the Lord? And 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 through 44 says this, and Elijah, and Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat and drink. So the fire falls. They, they kill off the prophets of Baal. And, and then he says this, go, go uh, eat, drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. And this is where I wanted to get to this morning. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported. A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. All of this process from three years of no rain from a place of people becoming uh, hungry, people literally becoming hungry and spiritually becoming hungry and then are confronted with the broken down things in their life. And, and then Ahab says, hey, Ahab, look, look what's going to happen here. And Elijah goes, and, and uh, when you read this story, you can miss it, but 
when he, when, he, when he crouches down, literally, if you study the passage, he gets into the same position a woman would be in uh, when she was birthing a baby. He literally births the move of God and the, the rain comes. I have, um, I've experienced a few traumatic things in my life, but I can tell you, one of the most traumatic things I've ever experienced was my wife giving birth. You may say, what? That has nothing to do with you. Listen, uh, my wife is a tough lady, but I've never heard, I've never heard a groan, a moan. I've never heard, I've never heard anything like I heard when she was in that birthing moment. And all the ladies said, amen, right? And all the guys who've ever had a kidney stone say, amen. I just passed the kidney stone about a week and a half ago. Uh, so maybe that's why I'm preaching this sermon today. I don't know. Um, he literally gets down into the birthing position and seven times sends the servant. Seven times sends the servant. And then the Bible says, the servant says, ah, oh, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand and and, and Elijah says, that's it. Tell Ahab, hitch up your wagon. It's time to go. The move of God is coming. I remember those days and weeks leading up to revival. I, I remember the anticipation growing. I remember the altars of repentance. I remember the times when we would seek God's face and God would reveal things to us and we would rend our hearts as we responded to the Lord. And I remember those moments where God's power would be revealed. Giving birth to the move of God isn't something that just happens. It isn't something that's automatic. There's a process that leads to it. And it takes people like Obadiah who are willing to be positioned by God in the places that he's called them to and to remain faithful in those places and to, and to never, never give up on the move of God. It takes people like Elijah who are willing, uh, who are willing to wait on God and respond to God and be faithful and, and be bold when God calls them to those moments of confrontation. Birthing the move of God isn't something that we should take for granted. And, and see, here's, here's, what sadly had been the case with God's people is God's people believed they were the promised people of God, but they also believed they kept falling into the trap of believing they could take for granted the blessing of God. And so as a result of, of entitlement, they would move away from faithfulness to God. And, and I fear that sometimes we can feel like we're so entitled to the blessing of God that we don't recognize, we don't recognize what it's going to take to be people of God's presence, that we don't recognize what it's going to take to remain faithful to who God has called us to be and to remain faithful to God's righteousness and his holiness and seeking his face. And Elijah showed the people that day that, listen, if, if you're going to experience the presence of God, if you're going to experience the power of God, there can't be compromise. We have to get rid of the prophets of Baal. And, and, and I read that story so many times and was struck by the violence of everything from, from the beginning all the way to the, the violence that existed in that passage. And yet, yet as I became older and had children of my own, I recognized that giving birth is something that, that is violent, but the blessing on the other side of that is something that 
You can never, ever, ever. People ask us, well, what's the hardest part about being a missionary? The hardest part for us about being a missionary is our 25-year-old and our 21-year-old live in the United States, and we live in Southern Africa. That's the hardest part because there's no greater blessing to us. There's no great, there's nothing that brings us greater joy in our life than, than, than our kids. And I don't even know what to, our oldest is married now. I don't even know what it's going to be like with grandkids someday. The blessing of what we've given birth to means everything to us. And that's the thing about when we birth the move of God is it, 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 it means everything to us and it, it changes the trajectory of everything. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I look at my world, when I look at the world that I live in and, and I think about the idolatry and I think about the witchcraft and I think about the brokenness of the world that Ahab and Jezebel was leading, um, I've never, I've never felt more compelled to be praying for a move of God how we need a move of God. Because a move of God changes everything. Giving birth to a move of God changes everything. And I know you've been in 21 days of prayer and fasting. I know you're about to have uh, some services coming up in the next few days. And, And so I just wanted to share this with you today because I believe God is calling us as the church and you as a church to a play where we, place where we become very serious about birthing the move of God. I believe he's calling us to a place where we're like Obadiah and we recognize that we are where we are, that we are who we are for a reason and a purpose and that we have to remain faithful wherever that is, whoever that's among, wherever God has called us, we have to remain faithful in that place that we can't shirk our responsibility, that we can't become lax in what we, but instead we need to recognize that every door of influence, every person person we know, every place that God has called us to is a place on purpose by God for God so that he might move through us. I also believe that God has called us like Elijah to be the kind of people who, who stick to what God has said to us. That we stick to what God has said to us when God gives us a prophetic word that we live according to that prophetic word and we declare it faithfully and when, when, it, when it's time that we speak up and we say the things that we need to say with boldness that we don't apologize for the move of God. That we don't apologize for righteousness and holiness. That we don't apologize to Jezebel and Ahab. That we don't apologize when when people are living in compromise. But instead we have to call ourselves and others to a place of righteousness and holiness. That we are not distracted. That we are not distracted. But instead the altar of the Lord is repaired in our life. And we are constantly seeking his face. I believe... I believe that God desires to move through us in an incredible way. I believe that God desires to bring revival. And I, I, don't, I don't believe that it's the one time or twice a year event that I experienced as a kid. In fact, I believe we're meant to live as people who are bearing the presence of God continually. I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit weren't for just once a year. I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for when I'm walking down the aisle at Walmart. I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are when I, when I cross paths with my neighbor. I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit should be in operation in my life all the time. I believe that we should be people who are birthing the presence of God continually in our lives. I believe here in your city, God wants to do incredible things. 
I know historically he has done incredible things and I believe he continues to desire to do incredible things through us, but it will only happen as we are people like Ahab and we are people like Elijah instead of people like Jezebel. And excuse me, I believe that's only gonna happen when we are people like Obadiah and Elijah, not Ahab and Jezebel. We are people who are committed to God and his ways, faithful to God and his ways, repairing the altar of the Lord, responding to God's opportunities he places in front of us instead of rejecting God, suppressing God and suppressing truth. Can I pray for you today? Father, I thank you so much for what you are doing here in this church. I thank you for the heart that you've given this pastor to lead this church in time of prayer and fasting. I thank you for the heart that you've given them to move in their city, reach their city, love their city, serve their city. God, the heart that you've given them to serve the world. Lord, I believe we live in challenging times in 2023. Things don't make sense. Things that should be simple are complicated. Truth is turned upside down. Right is wrong and wrong is right. I believe we live in a world of compromise. I believe we live in a world of distraction. I believe we live in a world where Jezebel's and Ahab's lead so many away from an authentic life in the presence of God. Lord, I believe that you're calling the people of God to be like Obadiah. I believe you're calling the people of God to be like Elijah. I believe you're calling the people of God to stay faithful where they are. To serve with character and integrity, but also intentionality. To keep alive the hope the dream, the passion for a move of God. I believe that you're calling God's people to speak truth to power, just like Elijah spoke truth to power. Not our truth, not our social truth, not our political truth, but kingdom truth. And I just pray this morning that for Desert and I, for the people that we serve alongside, that you help us, help us to continue to be faithful to you, to be bold and courageous. And I pray for this church. I thank you so much for their friendship. I thank you for their love, for their support, for their prayer. But God, I pray blessing over them in the name of Jesus that while they're in this season, that you will give them capacity to birth what you desire to birth in this season. that you will lead them as you led Obadiah. God, that you would strengthen them as you strengthened Elijah. And God, you would birth through them exactly what you want to do in this city. In Jesus' name.
your prayer this morning. Lord, we worship you. I'm caught up in your presence. And I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this Caught up in 
today's prayer. Father, may we be Obadiahs and Elijahs today. And not just today, but the weeks to come. God, may we prepare the way for you to do what you want to do here in Hope and in Sulphur Springs and the surrounding areas. Use us, Jesus. for just a moment. What a, what a word, what a challenge uh, to us. I, he asked me, he said, what, what do you want me to speak about? I said, man, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. I just believe that God speaks to us, and when, we, when, he, when he speaks to us, it's a lot better than when we, we try to manufacture something. We just listen to the voice of God, and, and today we've been blessed by that. Our ushers are going to come forward today. Uh, as I said, they, they're only here for six weeks, so you can imagine being here for six weeks. Uh, they have a limited number of uh, services that they can be in during that time. They, they were here for general counsel, um, and um, if you've... If you've been a part of Hope for a while, you know that we continually have to pray for our South African uh, missionaries uh, because of their visa issues. And uh, it's just been something that's been a part of that. You know, uh, thankfully, unlike the Fogelmans, they weren't deported, uh, but they, they do have to leave the con- country uh, consistently. And so they've been home. And as of last night, and I'm sure today because the mail has not run, they have not received uh, the visa. And, and, uh, and so they need to, they need that, they need it to come in. So we're going to pray, we're going to pray over them this morning as, as we, uh, as we give, but I'm going to ask you to give today. This is above your regular missions of giving above your tithe. If you could help us out, if you're watching online and you want to give this morning, would you go to connectedhope.com, click that, uh, give button. And, uh, I think, uh, just put a special speaker. Uh, there, there should be one, or you could use other. If we know that it comes in today and it's other, we know that this is going to the Freemans, and we're going to bless them today in this offering uh, because I believe in John, Third uh, John, it says when we take care of those that are traveling, that we get to be partners with them in the truth. I love that scripture. There's great partnerships in life. Obadiah and Elijah were a great partnership. And Hope Family Fellowship and the Freemans are a great partnership that we're seeing God do some amazing things in Africa. And as you as you know, they're just not in South Africa, but all over the continent, 11 of these cities where they have strategically chosen now, 11 cities that are being impacted in, in uh, the vast urbanization of Africa. Africa is not what it was 30 years ago. Cities are being built. There's, there's technology. There's things that are happening uh, there uh, that, are, that are, are unheard of uh, when we think historically. And uh, God is using them to be a, a conduit of his blessing, not just to Durban, but to Africa, and we get to partner with them in that. So I'm going to ask you to give today uh, in that uh, in the offering this morning, and we want to pray for, for them. Father, we just thank you. God, I, I personally thank you, Lord, for a church that has a heart for missions. God, and not, not just for 
sending money, but God for praying for them, for believing for them. And, and I, I just thank you right now for a giving church. And I ask Lord today that as we give, I pray God that you would, uh, you would use this to further your kingdom specifically in Durban, South Africa and in urban tribes and the initiatives that are taking place there. Lord, we're asking right now for you just to miraculously provide their visas. Lord, I just pray that they would be here before they have to get on a plane to go back to Durban on Wednesday. I just pray, God, right now that you would you would speed up the mail service. You would do whatever it takes, Father, for them to have those visas in hand before they ever get on a plane. I pray for blessing over Randy and Desra. I pray that this next season of their ministry, God, it would be a season where they're experiencing the joy of what's been birthed over the last few years. And I just pray, God, for workers for them. I pray, God, for, for funds to come in miraculously. I pray for these 11 cities where he's being able to influence by mentoring and training. I, I just pray, God, for you just to send revival all across the continent of Africa, that we would see a move of God where witchcraft is, is there, God. Let the Spirit of God rise up and, and let there be a move of your Spirit unlike any other. I pray, God, for miraculous testimony. God, where there is a division, I pray for unity. God, where there is hurt and pain, I pray, God, for the healing power of Jesus to come in the lives and hearts of people. I pray, God, that you would use them, God, to bring life and hope to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. God bless you today, church, as you give. We are, uh, as, as I said earlier, we're not going to have a, a, a service this week, but in two weeks, we, uh, on Wednesday night, the first Wednesday night of September, Revival Night, I, I'm praying that this is going to be a, a thing. I know we're finished with our 21 days of prayer and fasting, but let's not be finished with prayer. Amen. Let's seek the Lord. If you have not picked one of our devotions and you say, I hadn't even got to start, you can start today. There's a few of our devotions that are left back on the back table with some prayer points that we've been praying over as a church and believing God for. And I'd encourage you to pick that up. Next Sunday, we're giving away a $100 Visa gift card to somebody who has been who's done that devotion and brought it back. You can see Sue in the hospitality area uh, and, and show it to her if you have yours today. If you want to wait till next Sunday, you can do that as well. But we're just believing uh, that this has been impactful for your life and that God is going to use you. I'm going to ask you to stand today, and I want to pray uh, a prayer of blessing over you and your family. Uh, I said this on our um, when I talked with our, our live stream uh, there, but we have uh, we have so many. If you look around and you saw the educators that we had up here last week, and you look around today and they're not here, uh, they haven't left us or anything, but they're homesick. They're, I mean, so many of them have, have texted or, uh, and let us know, and our, our kids, uh, you know, they've gotten back into school, and and the and the and the germs are there, and uh, and so we're just praying that God would heal them today. So as we close in prayer, I want I want to pray again for our educators and for our students and our kids uh, and pray specifically for God's healing power in their life and that he would, uh, he would bless them uh, this week. Father, we just thank you for our children and our students and our educators again, Lord. Uh, Lord, we know that you've put them in strategic places uh, here in Sulphur Springs and Cooper and, and around the area, Como Picton. We've got them uh, there, Father, and we've just got people all over uh, this county and, and this area and this region. 
And I just pray for our, our educators and our students, specifically the ones that are sick uh, today, that they're dealing with the illness and the going back to school and all the germs. I just pray for healing in their body right now. I pray that they would be healed in Jesus' name. If you're watching today and you're watching this service, I speak to you and I say, be healed in Jesus' name. I pray that over your life today. Father, I pray for this church family that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would make your face shine down upon them and you'd be gracious to them and you'd give them peace in Jesus' name. God bless you, church, today.